Well, today we've come to the end in the, our series through Malachi, and in these last three verses of Malachi 4, we get the entire book in short form, a summary, if you will, of what God has been trying to say to his people throughout. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there or look on the screens. We're going to be in Malachi 4, and I'll be reading verses 4 to 6. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Well, you may sit down and let's come to the Lord now in prayer as we seek to understand and apply his word. Father in heaven, we rejoice that your word is living. It is active. It penetrates to the core of who we are. And so we ask by the power of your spirit that you would speak to us through your word now that we would hear it and we would apply it. So Lord, help us as we seek to do that. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, in case you didn't know, this, type, this time of year is a really exciting time of year for some of us. If you're not a sports fan, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But it is March Madness. Uh, what's March Madness is that NCAA college basketball tournament, end of the year tournament. And it's so exciting because the, every team gets one shot. If you win, you go on. If you lose, you go home. And uh, the reason why I love watching this is because every year this little team that no one's ever heard of, like Florida Atlantic, goes all the way to the end while these big teams, the, the Goliaths, they fall. And it's a, it's a fun time of year. Well, if you know anything about the NCAA as an organization, they've got quite a long rule book. These rules have been built up over years and years of all coaches and players who have done illegal things. And so they've got this massive rule book. And it's intended to help coaches know what is illegal when they are recruiting players, and it's intended for the players to know what's improper as far as receiving benefits and things like that. And the rule book is so long that no one can memorize it. So it's inevitable that people are going to break the rules. Coaches and players break the rules all the time. Now granted, some coaches and players are purposely breaking these rules, but even those that are not find themselves breaking rules that they didn't even know was a rule. I remember when I played back in college, um, I was in the person's office, the compliance person, all the time just asking, was this illegal? Was that illegal? Was this illegal? One time someone invited me over to their house for dinner and, and that was illegal because uh, it was an extra benefit other students didn't get. So all the time people are breaking these rules. And in contrast to the NCAA's subjective and cumbersome rule book, which, which uh, is, is massively long, God gave his people a perfect rule book. He gave them the law. 
uh, starting with the Ten Commandments there on Mount Sinai. He gave them to Moses. But God's people have, like the players and coaches in the NCAA, always had a hard time following these rules. They have broken these rules. And surely this was the case in Malachi's time. They had broken God's laws. They have broken his rules. And if we're honest, we're in the same boat as well. We have broken God's standards. We have not lived up to them. So the question isn't if we're gonna break his rules. The question is what are we gonna do when we've done so? And God in Malachi 4 shows us what can be done about this problem. If you haven't been with us throughout the series in Malachi, this was a great week to show up. Like I said, this is kind of the, the book in summary in these last three verses. But throughout the book of Malachi, God has highlighted his people's failure to obey his word. So in uh, chapter one, they had questioned God's plan. They wondered, does God really love us? How do we know that God loves us? In chapter two, they had offered faulty sacrifices against what God had commanded, and they had uh, broken the marriage covenant that God had laid out in his word, and they were marrying wives from foreign nations who were worshiping false gods. In chapter three, they were questioning God's justice, and they said, where is the God of justice? And they were calling what was evil and the evildoers, they were calling that good and blessed. God's people were not in a good place. They had broken his covenant on every level. And it's in that environment at the end of Malachi 4 that the Lord speaks to his people a final word. And at the same time, God is speaking a word to us today here in 2020, Hope Fellowship. And what is that word for us today? This is uh, the word in a sentence. This is the message in a sentence. And it's this. If you want to please God and escape his coming judgment, you need a new heart. If you want to please God and escape his coming judgment, you need a new heart. And this passage gives us two signposts that point us to our need for this radical change, for this change of heart as we live in light of his coming judgment. Those two signposts are God's law and God's mercy, God's law and his mercy. And as we follow those signposts, they both lead to the same place. And there's two main action steps that come out of those signposts of God's law and God's mercy from here in the text. First, let God's law lead you to Christ. We see that in verse four. And second, let God's mercy lead you to a life of repentance. We see that in verses five to six. So let's first consider how you can let God's law lead you to Christ. You know, in life, it's really helpful if you have clear expectations in relationships. Without clear expectations, you don't know where you stand with another person. If, so I see a lot of students around here. If you're a student, this is really helpful in school. You wanna know your teacher's expectations of you. If you don't know your teacher's expectations, you're gonna break the classroom rules. You're not gonna get good grades. If you're at work, you need to know your boss's expectations of you, or else you might get fired, or you surely won't get a raise. 
But it's true also in other relationships with our spouse, with close friends, with loved ones. We need to know what the expectations of that relationship are. And I would argue it's really hard to have an intimate relationship with someone if you don't know the expectations that are laid out. Well, God, in his kindness and his mercy, he gave his people the law, and he was gracious to let his people know what he expected of them. He laid out those expectations of this relationship. And this was a privileged position. The other nations didn't get this position. If his people were remembering his word, they would go back to Psalm 147, which in verse 20 says that he has not dealt thus with any other nation. God was so kind to give his people uh, his character as revealed in his word, in in his laws. And so here in verse four in our passage in Malachi, God points them back to his expectations. And in so doing, he summarizes what he's been saying all along in the book of Malachi. So look at verse four, if you have it there. It says, remember the law of my servant Moses the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. You remember back in chapter three, the Lord reminded his people, I do not change, says the Lord. He he does not change. And now here in verse four of chapter four, he is reminding him that his standards still have not changed over that whole history. Ever since he gave the law to Moses, his standards have not changed And he wants them to remember the law, it says. The sense of remember here is not mental retention, like I'm taking a test and I've got to remember all of the laws. The word remember here has the sense of obedience, of applying the law. So, and and he's calling them to remember the law. He's really calling them to put it into practice. He wants them to obey his word and his word which reveals his heart and his character. And for the entire book of Malachi, he has been reminding his people of this. He's been reminding his people of of his law and also how they have been breaking it. You see, God's people had forgotten God's law. They had neglected the Ten Commandments, yes, but all the rest. They were not seeking to obey, but instead they had begun to question God's methods. They had begun to question God's character. They had pursued behaviors that were opposite of what God had commanded in his word. They, instead of offering perfect sacrifices, were offering faulty sacrifices. Instead of being faithful to their wives in the covenant of marriage, they were divorcing their wives. Instead of staying within the covenant community and the people of God, they were marrying wives who worshiped false gods, who were going to draw them away. And they were envying the wicked. They were calling the evildoers good. And they had forgotten their identity as God's chosen people. And today there are some of us who call ourselves Christians that are doing some similar things when it comes to interacting with the Lord and making conclusions about him. Some people in the name of Christ, hopefully not here, but within the broader Christian world, are promoting behaviors that are contrary to God's will, that he's clearly revealed in his word. 
So friends, no matter what voices you may hear in the Christian world out there, uh, God is not okay with sexual immorality. He is, he, it doesn't matter if it's on a device or with another person, it doesn't matter if it's with the same gender or the opposite gender, we cannot rewrite God's laws regarding sexuality. Friends, God is not okay with things like abortion. It is the killing of innocent life. This is not a political statement, this is a biblical statement. He's not okay with that. He is not okay with discrimination or oppression of the weak and the vulnerable. And he's surely not okay with the self-indulgence and the materialism and the rampant selfishness that we see in the church here in the West. And we kind of excuse away and rationalize, well, God's probably just blessing us. It's okay to live this way. It's so easy, is it not, to excuse away our sin by rationalizing that God is a gracious God and that he will forgive We're in a dangerous place when we assume we know God's heart or that we know what his demands of us are without basing those conclusions on God's word, his holy, unchanging word. We can ignore God's complete and absolute claim on our lives by rationalizing, well, he'll just, he understands. He understands my life. I don't have to give everything to him. Well, like the people in Malachi's time, we can justify almost anything if we're not anchored to God's unchanging word. And God's word says that the whole world will pass away, but his word will remain forever. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. He affirmed this when he said, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. And he said, for truly until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I wonder today if you need to be reminded of God's unchanging word. Because our world changes, but God's word never changes. It remains the same throughout all time. We can, it can be tempting as Christians to discard the Old Testament and just to wonder, why is this even relevant for us today? Why do we need to read the Old Testament? Well, it's relevant for us today because it shows us God's unfolding plan throughout history. It's relevant because it's God's very word It's relevant because it points us to Christ, the the centerpiece of the entire story. And he's showed us, uh, he's come to fulfill his entire word. So how are we supposed to apply this command? If all those things are true, to remember the law of my servant Moses. Does it mean that we need to memorize the 10 commandments or the 613 commandments? statutes and laws throughout the Torah? Well, it'd be a good idea to memorize the Ten Commandments. I I would affirm that, but no, this is not what we're called to do because of that. Because we can observe in Malachi and throughout the entire Old Testament that it is impossible to fully obey the law on our own. 
And if you're not convinced about that, if, if you think, well, no, I'm a pretty good person. Let's just take a real quick quiz, you know, quick quiz. Don't raise your hand on this, but quick quiz from the Ten Commandments. Just if you see if you answer yes to any of these questions. Have you ever put something or someone in the place in your heart where only God deserves to be? Yes or no? Have you ever spoken against God, ever accused God, ever blamed God in any way? Have you ever disobeyed your parents once? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever shaded the truth? Have you ever gotten upset or angry in a sinful way? Have you ever desired someone who's not yours to desire? Have you ever coveted someone else's possessions and wished what they had was yours? Well, you get the point. Every single one of us is guilty. We cannot fully obey God's law. So what does that mean for us? It means that today, if you are trying to please God by what you do, if you're trying to please God by being a good person or coming to church or doing good works, you are hugely mistaken. Because instead of pleasing God, the Bible says that if you're trying to do these things on your own, you are under a curse. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3, in verse 10. He says that all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law and do them. So what does this mean? It means that unless your record is 100%, unless you can perfectly obey the law, you are under a curse. So if we cannot fully obey the law, then what in the world is the point of it? <laughs> why, why do we even have it? Well, there's a helpful resource that our family goes through sometimes. It's called the New City Catechism. It's put out by Crossway. It's a helpful resource. It's different ways that we can learn about God and what his word says about different topics. And the New City Catechism uh, says this, the kids' version, in question 15. It answers this question for us in a helpful way. It says, the question is, since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? Answer, that you may know the holy nature of God and the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior. The beauty of God's law is that it shows us how far above us God is. It shows us the holy character and nature of God. Friends, God is different than you are. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. At the same time, the law reveals just how sinful we are. It brings up the sin of our heart. It shows us. It puts it on full display. And it points us to our need of the Savior. Well, during Malachi's time and throughout all of Israel's history, nobody was able to keep this law perfectly. Nobody, except one. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses, in the law, Moses says, after me, there's going to be a prophet that's going to come. And he's going to speak God's words to you. All the words that God commands him, he will speak. 
And Jesus Christ is that prophet, that greater prophet which Moses predicted in Deuteronomy 18. He is the one of whom Peter says in 1 Peter 2, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. This sinless prophet, this great high priest, this king of kings, this perfect Israelite, this one who is fully God and fully man, this one, Jesus, is the one who took God's curse from us. Remember what Paul said again in Galatians 3, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Friends, God sent Jesus because of our impossible situation. Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless life and suffered a brutal death on a Roman cross and rose again from the dead so that we might have life in him. And you cannot obey verse four of Malachi four on your own. If you try, you will fail, along with all of God's people throughout history. So let God's law lead you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. So if you don't yet know Christ or you're still considering the claims of Christ, it may sound offensive that you're unable to be good enough for God, that your good works aren't good enough. And it's true, the message of the gospel is offensive. It's an offense to our pride. And if you want to know God's pleasure upon you, you must humble yourself and trust fully in him and surrender fully your life to Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus has remembered the law. Only Jesus has fully obeyed God's perfect standard. Well, if those of us who know and love Jesus, we also constantly need this reminder as well, to let God's law lead us to Christ. As if you've been a Christian for a while, it's so tempting to put our trust in our actions for Christ and what we've done for him and try to think if we've done well, we're, we're good, and if we haven't done so well, we're not good. I, I think about uh, Bible reading. We're, we're part of a Bible reading plan here at Hope Fellowship, and right now, some of you are feeling pretty good because you've, you've checked all the boxes and you're up to date. I will tell you I'm not one of those people yet. <laughs> so feel good. Uh, some of you feel really good about that. Some of you, probably most of you, feel a little bit of shame right now, a little bit of guilt, a little bit like, oh man, I see those open boxes. Uh, Why did I even start this plan in the first place? Friends, we can't approach the Christian life in a performance mindset. Either we feel good about what we're doing or we feel bad about what we're not doing. This, this can be applied to so many other areas, to prayer, to evangelism, to our service. The Christian life is not about what we do. It's about what someone else, namely Jesus, has done. And so maybe today you need the reminder that your security, your hope lies not in your works, even your Christian works, your good Christian works. That's not where your security lies. Your security lies in the finished work 
of Jesus in his perfect words, not your own. Aren't you glad for that? His perfect righteousness, not your feeble attempts at it. So Christian, praise God today that he accepts you because of Jesus' work on your behalf. What a blessing it is to be in Christ. So when we see this first signpost of God's law, let us use it to lead us to Christ. Not to a performance mindset, but into a deeper trust in Jesus. Well, the second signpost up here that we encounter in the passage as we consider the coming judgment of God is God's mercy. And this signpost of God's mercy also leads us to live a life of repentance. So starting in verse five, God's character and his heart are fully on display. And is the case throughout all of salvation history, mercy comes before judgment. So look at verse five. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. If this sounds familiar, it's because we've heard this message in Malachi before. Remember chapter three, starting in verse one, there the Lord promised to send my messenger before the coming judgment. And here he is showing that my messenger is Elijah. And this new messenger is identified as Elijah. But we can't miss the order here. Notice how the text did not jump from, in verse four, remember the law of Moses, obey the law of Moses. It didn't go from that to the coming day of judgment. Aren't we glad it didn't go straight there? Instead, right sandwiched in between is this welcome sight of God's mercy. God's mercy is displayed with this promise that he will send his people, Elijah the prophet, before the end. Well, what is going on here? It's a little unclear at first glance. Well, if you remember the Old Testament prophet Elijah, he was one who stood up against uh, the wickedness of the day, and he called the nation back to repentance. He was one with great courage. He challenged the prophets on the Mount Carmel. You, you kids will know this story when he called down fire from heaven, and, and uh, the the offering was burned up and all of the prophets were destroyed. He was one with great faith. He prayed and it didn't rain in the land for three years. He was one who worked miracles. God used him to raise a child from the dead. He used them to call down fire from heaven. Uh, in a really odd story when kids were kind of like making fun of him, he calls down fire from heaven. And this Elijah was one who never died but instead was taken up straight to heaven in a whirlwind. So in verse five, God promises to send Elijah before the day of judgment. And it's because of this text in Malachi that the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law in Jesus's time, they thought that maybe uh, the literal Elijah himself would return. And even in Jesus's ministry, some people had said, well, it's Elijah. And they were thinking of Malachi 4 here. But from our vantage point in history, we know that God sending Elijah was not literal, 
but instead he sent someone who typified Elijah's ministry. This was fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist. So if you were to flip over to Luke 117, you don't need to do it, I'll, I'll read it out, but if you want to flip over there later, the angel says to John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, he says, he, John, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in, listen to it, the spirit and power of Elijah. And then he basically quotes Malachi 4, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Jesus also affirms John the Baptist as Elijah multiple places, namely in Matthew 11, when he says that John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come. And what was John's message? John the Baptist, if you remember, it was one of repentance. It was one of calling people to get ready for the coming of the Lord, for the coming of Jesus. And this curious phrase says, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. This is an expression of this repentance that John came to bring. This phrase speaks to John's ministry that would lead people to repent and restore their relationship with God. He's, he's saying the whole nation needs to repent. Fathers, children, children, fathers, basically everyone in the nation needs to repent and turn to God, which in turn would heal their relationships with one another, as typified here in a family relationship. Fathers and children, children with fathers. But what does that mean for us today? How is that relevant for us today? Well, this message that John came to bring, this message of repentance and believe in Jesus, it's still so relevant for us because friends, throughout Malachi, we have been confronted with our need of repentance. Remember how God said in Malachi 3, return to me and I will return to you. And God is still speaking to us through John's ministry, through the book of Malachi here, and he's calling us to repent of our sins and turn to Christ. Christ has already come, but he's coming back again as we ready ourselves for the coming day of the Lord. We need to repent. And so if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, that would mean turning away from your sin and turning towards Christ in faith putting your trust in him for the first time. Let today be the day of salvation if you don't know Jesus. But if you are a follower of Christ, which is many if not most of us, this call from the promised Elijah, this call from John the Baptist, is a call to live a life of repentance. Because once we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, the Lord calls us to have this regular pattern of repentance. Yes, before God, to restore and, uh, that relationship that gets broken every time we sin, but also repentance before one another, the vertical and the horizontal. So practically speaking, I wonder if right now, if you were to just think about all the relationships in your life, if there is one relationship where God is calling you to repent, repent of your sin. Perhaps there's a relationship where you are living in sin and you need to repent. 
Perhaps there is a relationship where you have held a grudge against somebody else, or you have refused to forgive somebody else, or you uh, have wronged someone and you need to repent before God and before that person. If that's the case, hear this call of repentance as the Lord's coming is near, as he's going to be returning. Hear this call to repent. Well, the final theme from Malachi that crops up again in these verses is that day of the Lord or the the day of judgment. We've talked about this, it seems like every week we're talking about judgment in Malachi. And God, in his kindness, has repeatedly warned his people throughout this book and throughout the Bible and throughout all of human history, he is warning people about his coming judgment, his wrath against sin. And here he is doing it again. And here we see it phrased, uh, this day of the Lord, in two different ways. It's called the day of the Lord and a decree of utter destruction. This phrase, a decree of utter destruction, comes from a Hebrew word which means a ban. It's kind of a a ban that the Lord has against either uh, some things, there were devoted things that were devoted to destruction, they were banned from the Lord's presence, or people that are banned from the Lord's presence. It's the word used to describe judgment upon the people of Jericho before he destroyed everyone but Rahab and her friends. The sense here is in this utter destruction is a complete and total rejection from God with no hope of survival. No survivors are gonna get past this judgment. We have been reminded throughout Malachi that the day of judgment is coming, it is near. And friends, Jesus is coming back. We can guarantee that from God's word. And on that day, it is described as a day, for those who don't know the Lord, as utter destruction. No one will escape on that day unless they have repented and believed in the one that God has sent, the Lord Jesus. So do you see the gracious nature of God? Time after time, he is warning us. He has set forth his expectations. He's shown us how he's, we've broken his expectations. He's given us a deliverer and he's warning us, judgment is coming. I will follow through. Repent and believe in Jesus. So if you haven't yet today, repent and believe in Jesus before it's too late. Well, you'll notice right at the end here uh, of the book, Moses and Elijah are both here. The next time we'll see both of them together in the Bible is when they appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus transforms Uh, in the presence of a few of his disciples, and Moses and Elijah are there. As we close the book of Malachi and the entire Old Testament, we need to remember that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, as represented by Moses. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets, as represented by Elijah. We need to remember that God has one plan that he has been carrying out throughout all history. His plan will be accomplished. It will not fail. He is gonna glorify his name. He has given us a savior and he has called people from every tribe, language, and nation to himself. This 
plan will be accomplished and those who have not trusted in Christ will be judged. So the law and the prophets wrote about Jesus. They were all pointing to Jesus. Jesus reminds us that in Luke 24. This means that we don't need to look any further than Jesus when we are seeking to escape God's wrath and to know God's heart. So let this signpost in Malachi, in Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6, this signpost of God's mercy is uh, sending Elijah. Let us, lead it, let us uh, have it lead us to a life of repentance as we see the day approaching. What well, has been noted at the end of the Old Testament in our English Bibles, uh, it's a different ending if you're not aware in Hebrew, it ends with uh, Chronicles, not Malachi. But in our English Bibles, many have noted that this is a pretty um, negative ending. <laughs> the last three verse, uh, the last three words. Um, he's going to strike the land with a decree, a decree of utter destruction. But then, when we go to the end of the New Testament and read those final words, it's it's quite a different end. Right near the end, it says, uh, Jesus says, "Surely I am coming soon." Amen, come, Lord Jesus. The, the contrast to the old and the new, these endings of the two testaments, uh, is, it's a good summary of the story of Malachi. It's a good summary of the entire Bible. And the question that I want us to be left with, I want you to answer, is this. What is the end of the story going to be for you? Is it going to be a decree of utter destruction? Or is it going to be, amen, come Lord Jesus? If we put our faith and trust in Christ, it will be, amen, come Lord Jesus. So let us all put our trust in the Lord Jesus today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are so gracious to us. We are grateful for your word we're grateful for this word in Malachi. We're grateful for uh, the entire witness of the entirety of your word. Lord, we know your word will never fail. And so by your spirit, I pray today that you would give us a vision of who you are, Lord Jesus. You would help us to see that you are kind and gracious and you're holding out your arms for us. So Lord, help us to repent of sins, maybe for the first time and trust, you, trust in you. Or maybe there's other things that we need to repent of and turn back to you as we await your coming, as we seek to live faithfully in this land before your coming judgment. So Lord, we do say amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us to uh, look forward to that day, live in light of that day, share with others in light of that day. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.